It's our privilege to have both Bob and Becky Gray with us and uh, Dr. Dave McKellops with us. Dr. Dave made a lasting impression on me as I was standing in a receiving line in Wichita, Kansas for a funeral. And the line was out the door, continued for two, three hours, I can't remember which. And up walks this incredible, gentle-looking man with his wonderful bride, who I had no idea who he was. And he shook my hand and gave me a hug, and he said, I'm your dad's new boss. Come all the way from Tulsa, Oklahoma, for my sister's funeral, and uh, to be there to support my mom and my dad and my family. And from that moment, Dave and Gloria McKellips had a special place in my heart, and I'm thankful for their ministry. I was privileged to go and to serve on the Northeast Oklahoma District and be ordained as an elder on that district under the leadership of Dr. Dave McKellops. And so it is my joy and privilege to introduce to you today District Superintendent, Reverend Dr. Dave McKellops, a friend, a colleague, come and bring God's word with us. Would you give him a warm Pike County welcome? <laughs> Good morning. What a joy to be with you today. I have never been to Pittsville before, so this is a wonderful experience for me. I was telling someone I grew up in uh, uh, western Kansas, a small farming community. I have such fond memories of that. When my parents would leave, I'd stay out on the farm with uh, the Norsworthy family. And uh, that's where I learned to go in and collect eggs from under some cantankerous hens and uh, and and the mystery of watching them kill a chicken and, and prepare it for lunch and uh, and uh, all kinds of fun things with cows and giving birth and all that. Uh, so uh, it's really good to be with you here in, in Pittsfield and to share this time, even this uh, anxiety of this time. Um, and it's a joy to be with Pastor BJ and Pastor Alicia and to reconnect with them. We love the Thelanders in Northeast Oklahoma because now his brother and his father pastor on our district, and we're just so thankful for their influence. They're, they're, you just don't get any better than the Thelanders. You are really blessed to have them here and to enjoy their ministry. So I just hope you'll love them to death as they will love you and enjoy great ministry together. And it's good to be with Bob and Becky Gray. They've been friends for 83 years, isn't it? Something like that. I mean, a long time. And... Uh, I'm not a veteran revivalist. I, I've done a few revivals in my time, but Bob is. And so I, I tried to ask Bob what I should wear. And, and Bob coached me on what I should wear. What do you think? Except for I, I forgot the black pants. <laughs> but I got to learn from people like Bob and Becky. You know, they're, they're old pros at this. And so it's, it's a joy to be with them. These are... Uh, these are interesting times. I, I, I've never experienced anything quite like it. You not, haven't either. Um, my, uh, my daughters, I have two daughters and, and uh, a son. I'll, I'll try to show some pictures of all the family tonight. I'm going to show one of the daughters this morning. But my daughters weren't too happy about me traveling anywhere. They're getting a little protective of dad. I guess there's some advantage of being an old man. You know, they're, they're kind of thinking about him and 
worried about him. And, uh, but, you know, the coronavirus and, and all of the concerns and everything being shut down. Uh, since I grew up in Kansas, I guess I'll just announce that the Kansas Jayhawks are in the, in the years number one in the country. Isn't that a wonderful thing? I didn't know that if you'd like that here or not, but uh, I mean, already my Kansas City Chiefs won the, the world championship this year, and, and now the Kansas Jayhawks are number one in the last poll. <laughs> but interesting times, everything being shut down, people having fear, the stock market, wow, I mean, record drop and record up, you know, just one day after another. Amazing. And, and then you have a presidential race going on at the same time. I, I don't know about you. How, how are you feeling? I, I tell people I feel positive. Not that I've tested positive. I feel positive. <laughs> I still see the, the bottle of Purell as being half full, you know, and so I'm I'm positive, but the the basis of my hope is Jesus Christ. We've been singing about that. I I've enjoyed going on a, a Lenten journey with, uh, with with many Christians across around the world, <laughs> and and this week in my reading Psalm 62, and in Psalm 62, verse one and verse four, almost identical. Verse four says it this way: Find rest. Oh, my soul, in God alone. I'm not preaching on this, so this is just a bonus, but it said find rest. Re that isn't our natural response all the time, is it? Sometimes fear and anxiety are the first thing we feel. And, and we're not chastised for that, but we're called to find rest in God alone. My hope, he says, comes from him. He alone is my rock and salvation. So when my 401k plummeted this week, okay, God, you're my rock, not my 401k. If I would get the coronavirus, I would say not even my health is not my foundation. You are my foundation. You are my rock. He is my fortress, he says, I will not be shaken. And then I can't help but think of Jesus' words in um, Matthew and the Sermon on the Mount when he talks about how we can live a life that can handle the storms. And he talks about building it on that foundation of hearing and obeying the word of God. So really, we're, what we're doing this week is, is vital because revival is nothing else than fresh obedience. It's just fresh obedience to God. And so if we want a solid foundation for our life, we want to know how can we draw close to him and, and know him better and obey him, walk more closely with him. And that's why we'll be here these next few days in revival. I'm a, I'm a pastor at heart. I love to preach through areas of, of scripture. And, and this week... We're going to be looking at Romans 12 at every service. So if you want, yeah, some of you would like to leave too, I know, but we've just started. Don't cry yet. Romans 12 is what we're going to look at every week. 
And so if you want to do something to, to follow along, read that every day. Well, what a powerful scripture Romans 12 is. I, I, I've lived a lot in Romans 12 over the last couple of years. I've tried, to, I've tried to memorize that chapter because it's so powerful. To me, it's description of what an authentic Christian life is about. How, how do we live in response to, to that love and mercy that we've been singing about? That's what Romans 12 is all about. And it describes this grace-filled, winsomely holy, loving follower of Jesus Christ. And that's who we want to be here in Pittsfield. Amen? So let's hear the word of the Lord. Today, I'm going to preach just from verse 1 and 2. Probably the most familiar verses of this chapter, although a lot of it will be familiar. And why don't you stand, if you would, for the reading of God's word. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. This is the word of God for us. This is as good as it's going to get right here. <laughs> may we hear and obey his word. You may be seated. We were in Dallas uh, a few weeks back, and uh, my oldest daughter, Carrie, lives there. Carrie with her husband, Damien, and, and their children, Everly is the youngest, five, Eliana, ten at the time when we were there. Um, and we were visiting them, and we were getting re ready to enjoy a wonderful breakfast. Carrie had picked up some breakfast tacos from this place that they loved, and there were a variety of breakfast tacos, and we were all almost, well, almost all, excited about sitting down and eating breakfast. I say almost all because the youngest, Everly, was not very excited. She made it very clear from the time we sat down that she did not want breakfast tacos. She wanted blueberry pancakes. Well, Carrie, you know, she's a good mom and she knows how to give their children options. And so she said, well, we're not having pancakes today, but we're having breakfast tacos. And she told her again the type of tacos that they had and let her know that she could choose whichever taco she wanted. But Everly would have none of it. She wanted blueberry pancakes. And so she began to fuss a little bit. And when fussing didn't get what she wanted, she began to whine a little bit and and to cry a little bit. And after a while, her mom decided, you know what, Everly, I think, I think you need probably a little time out away from the family. And so Everly was taken into her bedroom with wailing and gnashing of teeth and 
the door was closed, but still we could hear her crying out about the injustice of a child being left behind who wants blueberry pancakes. Yeah. <laughs> so after a while, the crying began to subside, and Damien looked at Carrie and said, should we invite her to rejoin us? Carrie said, well, I told her as soon as she's ready to apologize, she's welcome to come out. It wasn't long before Everly comes out of the bedroom and walks over to her mother. She's still sniffling a little bit. Her mother puts her arm around her and gives her a hug. And mother says to her, Everly, do you have something to say to everyone? Everly said, I'm sorry. <laughs> but she continued, but I still want blueberry pancakes. <laughs> this is one of the wonderful privileges about being a grandparent. You get to cover your mouth so they can't see your smile and turn away when those kind of things are shared. And then look at the parents and say, how are you going to respond to this? Carrie looked at Damien, and, you know, they were trying to communicate without saying anything. You know what that is, parents. But how are we going to respond to this? Then Carrie said to Everly, Everly, do you deserve to have blueberry pancakes? No, Mommy. What is it when you get what you don't deserve? Grace, Mommy, Grace! <laughs> Aren't you thankful for grace? We've been singing about it today. We've been singing about the incredible love of God and, and, and the debt that we couldn't pay that He paid. Thankfully, we don't get what we deserve. If we got what we deserved, we would have to pay for our sins, and we can't do that. But God, in his love, sent his son, who lived and died on our behalf. And we have redemption through him. I know no clearer passage in scripture dealing with God's love and what all the benefits we have in Christ than, than the book of Romans. Paul hadn't been to the church of Rome, and so it seems like he's trying to write out a clear explanation of, of all that we have and the fact that every one of us stand before God guilty. Every one of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But, but this righteousness of God that has appeared in Jesus Christ and how Jesus went and bore our sin, he loved us, just as Bob said, even while we were still sinners. And he made it possible if we would come by faith to be forgiven, to be adopted into the family, to be in a relationship where there's no condemnation to us. And after spending 11 chapters outlining all of those benefits, Paul gets to Romans chapter 12. And he says, therefore, in light of all of that, in light of all that God has done for you, what does he want from you? What kind of life should we be living?
Paul gets right to the most important thing at the very beginning. What response is God looking for? He's wanting to find a group of people who are all in. He, he wants to have people who will say, you know, in light of all that you've done for me, the songwriter said it, love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my love, my all. And that's what Paul said. He said, in, in view of God's mercy, in, in view of all of the things he has done for you, and the way he has lavished his love on you, the appropriate response, the, the, the reasonable thing, the, the spiritual act that we should make is offering ourselves to him as a living sacrifice. Undoubtedly, Paul was bearing reference to some of the Levitical voluntary offerings. But in those cases, it was offering a dead animal to God. Now Paul's saying, we offer a living servant back to him. And say, God, just as that animal was completely on the altar and consumed, <coughs> so my life is completely on the altar for you. It's not my will, but thine. Not my will, but thine. Be done in me, O Lord. This total consecration to God implies a moment when you say, Lord, all that I am is yours. Can you remember when that decision was made? You know, I can recall. In fact, I'll share a little bit more about that. But it's an act of surrender to God, but it's not something that you, you do one time and, and then you walk away from it. I guess it's kind of like marriage. You know, we stand before people and, and before the altar and we commit our lives to one another. And then it's the, the years of working out all of the implications of that. And what it means to be devoted to one another. Paul says, in view of God's mercy, in view of his grace, offer yourself completely, body, soul, spirit, everything that you have, offer it to God. This is consistent with the message Jesus taught. This week even, I was, again, reading gospel reading in my Lenten reading week, I went to the passage where Jesus said, if you're going to be my disciple, take up your cross and follow me. He wasn't saying, put that little necklace around your neck and wear a little cross. What he was saying then was like, take up the electric chair. That's what it would have meant, because the cross was the sign of, of, of suffering and pain and death. He was saying, what I want you to do is die to self-rule and allow me to be ruler of your life. In Jesus' message, in Paul's message, this is the normal Christian life. Now, it's not necessarily the typical Christian life that we see lived out in North America today, but it's the normal life that Jesus or Paul would talk about and you say, well, why isn't it typical? Why, why are some people not living that life of, of complete consecration? Maybe some here today, you'd say, you know, I don't live there. Why is that? Well, just a few reasons I'd look at. One is some of us have never been taught that total commitment is Christ's demand for all of his followers. 
Unfortunately, I guess it's not just in America, because I, I remember reading, reading Dietrich Bonhoeffer's book, The Cost of Discipleship, and he talks about this cheap grace that's offered to people. He said, when Christ came, he bid a man come and die. But we have this cheap grace that seems to be preached from pulpits in Germany, certainly in America. They would imply that what real Christianity is about is just praying a prayer and showing up for church. Maybe putting in some money occasionally. But it's nothing like following and, and committing your life that Jesus and Paul talked about. And so some have just not heard this message. Paul says, this is your true and proper worship. <laughs> this, this is what God wants for you. He, Isaiah said it at one place in his writing where I'm not so interested in you coming and just singing your songs. I want you. <laughs> I want all of you. God is not primarily interested in our church attendance, although I recommend it. He's not primarily attended and interested in your, your tithe that you put in the offering today. He's not primarily interested in all your religious activities. He's interested in you, in relationship with him, offering your life to him. He wants a relationship with you. He wants to love you and be loved by you. He wants your heart. He's not looking for for little soldiers just who will do his will. He's looking for sons and daughters who will be in this relationship where they'll say with reckless abandon, oh God, all that I have, all that I am, all that I will be, it's yours. <laughs> some, though, have not been taught that. The second reason that some don't uh, have lives marked by surrender to God is fear. You know, we're just... God is so holy and awesome and other, but there's just a little fear. What, what will he want from me? And is it going to be painful what he wants? Will my life be full of joy if I serve God? Or is it going to be a life of drudgery? I mean, surely what he wants is to call me to Africa and go to some place where I can't speak the language and eat foods that I can't even imagine eating and have snakes all around me. We just fear that, that maybe what God wants is, is not good, or maybe it's going to bring a lot of pain into my life. Well, I will say that sometimes part of it is hard. <laughs> but I would say to those of you who are struggling with that today, even when it's hard, it's never bad for us. Emotionally, we wrestle with the thought that surrendering our, our will to God may cause us more pain than joy. And if you're struggling with that decision in some area of your life right now, let me encourage you. It's true the sacrifices involved are very real. There is a call to come and die. But it's also true that the benefits are worth the cost. So you'll you'll never really experience the joy, the power, the love, the, the presence of God that we long for until we come to this point of full surrender of our lives to Him. 
I, I like the way the songwriter put it years ago. He said, is your all on the altar of sacrifice made? Your heart does the spirit control. You can only be blessed and have peace and sweet rest as you yield him, your body and soul. So that's the truth. Yeah, there's a, there's a price to be paid. But it's trusting that the, the God of the universe, the God who made us, knows what's best for us. So what he asks us to do is for our good, for our joy, both here and in eternity. So fear is another reason. A third reason we don't experience this complete surrender is some of us just don't want to give up control of our life. I mean, that's the root sin. This self-sovereignty. This, I'm going to do what I want, when I want, the way I want. I want to be in charge of my own life. It's, it's what Adam and Eve did when they decided they weren't going to heed God's guidance, but walk their own way. It's what all of us do at some point in our life. And then there's innate pull that we have towards just self and world centered around myself. And it's hard for many of us to come to that point of saying, I surrender. I'm all in, God. I'm yours. Whatever you want is what I want. One, one writer that I like a lot compared North American Christians with, with um, he said we're salad bar Christians. Do you like to go to a good salad bar? I do. I mean, when I was a kid, I didn't like anything but lettuce. I don't put anything on it or any dressing on it. Now, I mean, I'm, I'm loading that thing up and a good salad dressing to go with it. But I'll tell you, in a good salad bar, there's at least half of the things that I don't take. They're, they're, not, they're not my specialty. They're not something that I really want. And, and sometimes this writer says we're like that with our Christianity in North America. Okay, God, well, I'll do this one. Yeah, this one I can do. But don't expect me to obey this other one. No, no, I, I'm not comfortable with that. or That just doesn't fit with my life or my preferences. And so we just kind of pick and choose. And what happens? Who's still in charge? Me. <laughs> I'm still in charge. I'm still in control of my life. I'm not living a life yielded to God. When I was in college, I, I heard Jim Dobson, who started Focus on the Family, speak and Bob and Becky may have been at the same service and heard him. Anyway, I, I can remember him talking about how often we come to God with this contract and we've, we've kind of filled in what it is we're willing to do for God. And we offer that to God. And he said what God's looking for us is to come with a blank contract and our name signed at the bottom and give it to him and say, God, whatever you want, you fill in the details. Because what I want is what you want. Can you sign a contract today? Sign your name to it. Say, God, whatever the details are, I'm in. Whatever you want from me, I'm in. I'm all in. When you read scripture, you see that God has always look, been looking for a people who would be all in. I mean, always. 
From the opening pages, he's just looking for these people who will be set apart to him. The question is, will we be those people today? I will tell you that when a man or woman takes this step, life is never the same. And when this begins to become a part of the DNA of the church, look out. <laughs> I mean, Wesley said, if I just have a hundred men that love nothing but God and hate nothing but sin, we'll turn England upside down. And what can we do in Pittsfield? If we have a group of people who are all in and say, God, we want your will, not ours. I grew up in a preacher's home as well. Now you know how to pray for us, all the psychological problems we did. <laughs> and, you know, I had a tender heart towards God. I, I was a, a regular prayer at the altar growing up with, with my dad as the pastor. He, he could count on one seeker in, in a lot of altar calls. Because I was there, I, I was tender towards God and his love. And I was there whenever the doors were open. I never even thought about being anywhere else. I knew that's where I had to be. Um, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, revival, VBS, all of that. I never saw the end of the Wizard of Oz because I always was at church before it ended on, on Sunday. <laughs> Uh, and <clears throat> the problem is, as I got in junior high especially, I, I didn't think this way, but what was happening is I began to compartmentalize my faith. And I was a good kid and in Bible quizzing and I'd come to church, but at school it didn't always work out in the way I acted or, or treated people. It's not that I've constantly said, God, I'm going to ignore you, but, but really, that's what was happening. When I was 14 years old, I went to youth camp like I did every year. And the speaker was Dr. Wilson Lanford. He was district superintendent of the Kansas City District at that time. Now, who would think that God could use a district superintendent? I mean, that's a miracle in itself right there. But, but he was speaking at our, other than, of course, Terry Armstrong. Just want you to know that. And Jim Cramer, who was before that here. Those are people I highly love, by the way. Um, little parenthesis here. Terry and, and my wife, Gloria, were camp king and queen on the Joplin district in youth camp. They used to have such a thing at youth camp. <laughs> That's your district superintendent. Anyway, but Wilson Lanfer was the speaker at this youth camp. And on Monday night of youth camp, he spoke on, pardon me, your example is showing. And he talked about people who claim to be followers of Christ, but well, you just didn't see evidence of it in their lives, or at least not consistent evidence. He didn't talk about salad bowl Christians, but solid bar Christians, but, but that's what he was talking about. People that their life was not consistently bearing witness to the fact that they were followers of Jesus Christ. And he called us 
He urged us, like the Apostle Paul, to offer ourselves fully to God. We served a song, we sang a song that was brand new then. I mean, it, I hadn't heard it before I went to camp. It was, I will serve thee. That's an old song now. Bill and Gloria Gaither. I'll serve thee because I love thee. And I can remember <laughs> that night as I went to an altar and prayed. And as I got up from the altar, singing that song with tears coming down my face, I will serve thee because I love thee. You've given life to me. And then we sang another song. It wasn't brand new to me. It said, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. We heard that a minute ago, didn't we? That whole chorus. No turning back. See, God was calling me to serve him through a full commitment of my life to him. He was asking me as a 14-year-old to trust that he was so good, so kind, so loving, that, that I entrust all that I know to him and even what I don't know. To trust my sports to him. Sports are pretty important to me. Trust my academics to him. To trust my relationship, including girlfriend, to him. And, and to surrender all of these things to him, knowing that he knew what was best for my life and that I could trust him with my life. He wanted me to bring my everything to him so that he would reign in my heart and life just like he reigns in the universe. And that night, I said what E. Stanley Jones calls the, the big divine yes. I said that yes to God and said, yes, I'm all in, God. And you say, well, have you lived a flawless life since then? Not by any means. I mean, there, there's been shortcomings, there's been failures. But I can tell you from that moment on, I was never content with anything other than a full surrender because I knew that's what God wanted for me. I, I knew that's what would be God's best for me. I knew that was the road to, to peace and joy and fulfillment and love. That evening, that week, I gave God what he really wants for me my life as a living sacrifice. And that encounter has made all the difference in the world to me. Like the commitment of marriage, there's things to work out down the road, and there's other times new things come up where we're trying to work out, okay, God, yeah, yeah, that's all in too. But from that moment on, my life has changed. It all began in that historic week in the Ozarks when I heard God's call to be a living sacrifice. I wonder, are, are you ready to give God what he really wants from you? Are you ready to be all in? Are you ready to give up the salad bar approach to to following Christ, to be sold out to him. Everything you want, God, I'm available. I invite you this morning to join me on this incredible journey. It's, it's a journey of grace, 
a journey of faith, a journey of relationship that leads to transformation. Living the life of full surrender to Christ can help you live a new, radical, abundant life. Would you bow your heads with me? With your heads bowed, would you allow the Holy Spirit to search your heart and your life? And I ask you, have, have you ever made that decision to offer your life to God as a living sacrifice? Has there been a, a day when you specifically said something like this to God, Lord, I'm yours. A living, a holy sacrifice. Here's my blank contract, God. I submit myself to your will. And you have complete freedom, God, to do whatever you want to do in my life without my resistance. <laughs> Maybe not in those words, but have you prayed that kind of prayer? If not, I'm, I'm like Paul urging you, do so today. Don't put it off. Today is the day when God is calling. I read just a few weeks ago in a book kind of the backstory behind that song, I've decided to follow Jesus. Came to find out it was a story based on the death of a newly converted Christian in India. He had renounced his Hinduism and some of the even more primitive tribal beliefs to follow Jesus Christ. And the tribal chief brought he and his family before them and he, he, he threatened them, renounce your faith or you'll be executed. And this man said, I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. The angry chief then killed the man's children. But still they would not de deny his Christian faith. And as his wife was executed, the man said, though no one joins me, still I will follow. And then as his life was being taken, he said, the cross before me the world behind me. <laughs> Later, the chief and the entire village became believers because of the dramatic testimony of this martyr of the faith. <laughs> Have you made that kind of commitment to Christ? I'm all in, God. I've decided to follow you. No turning back. It often helps to seal our commitment by coming publicly. And I love the fact that our church has an altar. The altar is a great place to come and seek forgiveness, but it just is the appropriate thing when we're coming to offer our lives to Him. Say, God, take me, all of me.
That's the highest act of worship that you can offer. Paul said, this is your true and proper worship. I wonder if you'd like to come right now. <laughs> you'd like to say, God, man, I've, I've flirted with this thing. I've, it's hard to believe that I've not been there, but today, God, I'm all in. Would you like to come? You just get up from where you're sitting right now and come and kneel at the altar. Let's stand as we sing this. Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. Live for you alone. Every breath that I take. Every moment I'm away, Lord, have your way in me. Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. I'm for you alone. Every breath that I take, every moment I'm away, Lord, have your way in me. I'm always blessed when I see uh, young people respond. I, I can think back several years where I was that young person. <laughs> I'm so glad you have a great group of teenagers in this church. It was encouraging me to hear of how many were participating in the activity yesterday. Like, praise God. That's a, that's a gift to this church. I just want every one of the teenagers to know this is the best decision you can ever make with your life. Rather than just having your feet kind of in the waters, what a difference it makes when you plunge all in. I remember going to Promise Keepers with a very successful young man who was a dentist. I remember his testimony 
when he got back, he said, it's amazing the difference between being 99% committed and 100. There's something he was holding out, something it was hard to give in. And Well, I call every one of you young people, give God your life. And you, you won't be disappointed. And I love for us older ones to lead the way. Do they see that in us? Do they see that we're people who uh, we don't just act religious on Sunday, but that guides the way we do our business. Guides us when we're in our homes, how we treat people. Right? Guides us even in traffic. Ooh. Or for me, on the ball field. Oh. I wonder if there's some others that need to say, God, I'm all in. I, I'm a, I want to be a living sacrifice. I, I don't want to be just partially in. I, I want you to have everything, every part of me, because this is what you want. It's what you really want, God. And if that's what you want, I love you. you know, in light of all you've done for me, in view of your mercies and your grace that you've lavished on me, I'm all in. We're going to sing this again, and I'm going to turn it over to your pastor. But if God's speaking to you, this is the day. This is the day to be all in with God. Yeah. Uh-huh. 